get up on the car. I just want to stay in bed and see you. Good habit. We'll make do of it. Joshua chapter 3. I love quotes and I like definitions. I like definitions because they give us clarity. If you've ever heard me speak very much, you will notice that once or twice during a sermon that I will give a definition. And I guess because maybe I love words, but more than that, I want to you to be clear uh, sometimes we use the same words, but we don't use the same dictionary. Now, I don't mean that literally, but what I mean is, is you can throw something out and uh, say, oh, I know what you're talking about, but we're operating on different definitions. And one of those has to do with the will of God, the will of God. So many people don't get involved with the will of God. And I told you my story several weeks ago uh, because I was afraid of the will of God. And at the root of that, I'm ashamed to say, is I was, a, I was afraid of my father, my heavenly father, that God would ask me to do something and offer me something that wasn't good. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, that the, the will of God is good, acceptable, and perfect. I want you to meditate on that. God's will is good. It's acceptable, it's praiseworthy, and it's good, it's perfect, it's always perfect. And here's a definition for the will of God that I want to give to you today. It's one of my favorite definitions, and it really addresses fear. If you're ever afraid of the will of God for your life, you know, you've heard it said that, well, I'm afraid to give my life to God because He, make me, he might make me do fill in the blank. Well, whatever... Uh, God wants you to do is something that He created you to do, and He will equip you to do, and He will give you a desire to do. But here's a good definition. The will of God is what you would choose if you had all of the facts. The will of God is what you would choose if you had all of the facts. But the problem is, is we don't have all of the facts. And because we don't, we have perspectives and we make decisions based on our limited perspective and our fears. And our good and our perfect and our faithful loving Father is leading us to good pastures and good places. But we hesitate to go there and we miss God's best for our lives. And there's the Bible says God's ways are not our ways. Um, and so we miss God's ways because we want to accommodate our own thinking. Now, God's economy, He has designed that we live by faith. Hebrews 12 says that God is pleased um, when we live by faith. It pleases His heart. And faith is always expressed by obedience. If you read Hebrews chapter 11, you see everybody's faith. It's not just that they believe, but because they something. Now, whenever you obey, God unleashes. They may not be uh, what you think they are. They may be in, in different ways. Opposite side of the.
the will of God because you do not. out of their history God has promised them that they could go into what we call the promised land. It's called the promised land because he promised to them it's the land of Canaan. They could have gone in there probably 38 years before, maybe 39 years before, but because of their unbelief, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, and the wilderness is a waste place. Uh, When I was in Israel, I I told you a little bit last week, it, it is just as dry and, and it's the most desert place, not everywhere, but in most of the places I went. I mean, there's rocks everywhere. It's, it's sandy. It's not dirty. It's, it's just humid. It's, it's hot. But now after these 40 years, all of these people have died except for two people. Everybody that was over 40 died except for two people, and that was Joshua and Caleb, because they believed God when they, they visited in the promised land and they came back and the other ten uh, men that went in, they said, no, we can't. They were filled with doubt. And so God honored their faith. So now this generation is gone, except for Joshua and Caleb. They're here at the Jordan River and God led them there. The obstacle, now listen, the Jordan River in this passage is not only a picture of, of death to self, the, the, the Canaan is a picture of the abundant life. Jordan is a picture of dying to self. But also, uh, it's a picture of an obstacle. They cannot get in there until they get across Jordan. And in verse 15, I think it is here, in Joshua chapter 3, the Bible says that the river is at flood stage. The currents are, are deep. I, I told you a story several weeks ago about uh, putting someone that was a, a professional swimmer now, I don't know what that is. That's a good way to make a living, isn't it? A professional swimmer. I think I want to do that. I'm too old for it now. But a professional swimmer went, went in there at flood stage and tried to get across, and he, he couldn't make it uh, because of all the currents, because of, of the, the difficulty of it. And so now they, they're, they're there, and uh, they're trusting God, but there's a little bit a fright because they want to obey God. God's told them what to do. So what they do in this situation is going to determine their future. Now, here in our text, we're going to look at this morning are some principles for you and for me as we face unknown futures. What are we supposed to do with our children? What are we going to do with our finances? What are we going to do with our marriage? What what do we do in our church? What do we do? I was talking with a friend uh, Recently, he's retiring, and, and you know, a, a lot of people say, oh, I can't wait till I retire. Well, when you get there, it's a little bit different. Sometimes you say, well, you know, uh, one of my buddies that had retired said, you know what I miss about my retirement? He said, it's not the job, it was my friends. And, you know, it, it's easy when you're, when you're younger to say, oh, one day when I get there, here's what I'm going to do. But things, things change. They take on a little bit of a different tint and a different color. So when you have, have this future, how can, you, how can you determine God's best for you? And we all face it at some times. 
In fact, tomorrow is unknown. Proverbs 27.1 says, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. It doesn't forbid planning, but it does say don't, don't, you need to live in the present. That's what he's saying. But I want you to read these verses. Let's just read the first six verses, and I want to focus in on a couple of verses here. Uh, uh, I almost said Proverbs. Joshua chapter 3, and look at verse 1. And Joshua rose early in the morning. If you've been with us, you have that underlined. Joshua rose. Oh, oh by the way, I have some sheets to hand out to you. Uh, you guys, would you pass those out? Uh, three men have those. Just give everybody one. Um, thank you very much. Um, I, I got got some notes for you. We'll see how this goes. If it doesn't go good, we won't do it anymore. Um, but it'll help you follow along a little bit. Thank you, guys. I almost forgot that. These fellas, they work for $20 an hour. They're so good. They found out how much I was paying. Thank you, guys. There you go. I appreciate that. And Russell's got some more. If any, anybody needs one, hold your hand up, and those guys will give them to you. All right, let's read in the text, and I think it'll be on the screen if you don't have your Bible. I hope you do have it so you can underline some things. I told you, uh, you probably have this underlined if you've been with us. In verse 1, Joshua rose early in the morning. That's important. And they, that is a nation, remember Joshua was the leader, took over for Moses. And they removed from Shedem and came to Jordan, that is the river, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. came to pass after three days that the officers went through the host. It probably took them a day or a day and a half to get there. They rested a day, and, and so now it's the third day when they're, they're getting ready to go. And so the officers, this is the delegated authority, the way that God organizes the nation. Verse 3, they commanded the people, saying, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, and uh, we taught you that that's the uh, symbol for the presence of God. It was the most important piece of furniture in the Holy of Holies, very sacred to those people, the Ark of the Covenant. And they knew what it stood for. It stood for the presence of God in the camp. When you see the Ark of the Covenant, or the presence of God, and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, because that's the method that God had chosen, then you shall remove from your place and go after it. Pay attention to that. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. That's about 3,000 feet, over half a mile. Come not near unto it. That was so uh, the 12 tribes were organized by camp according to the tribes. And they had leaders. And now they're getting ready to go and they're organized by their camps. So they were to stay a half mile away so they could all see the presence of God. That's why they were, they were in order, but they were separated and also to have respect for the ark. But they would, all needed to be able to see the ark move. Verse 4 again, Come not near unto it that ye may know, look at this, that ye may know the way by which ye must go. For ye have not passed this way heretofore. Now there it is. What a precious promise. God is promising them direction. And it's a direction that they weren't familiar with. They knew where they were supposed to go. They didn't know how to go there necessarily, how they were going to get across. 
a lot of things they didn't know, that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way heretofore. Here's another promise. Verse 5, Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Tomorrow, the next day, when you go, God is going to do some wonders among you. When you obey the Lord, when you follow, quote, the ark, when you follow God's presence, when you obey His word, God's going to do some wonders for you. And that's an important word. We get the word wonderful from it. It means things that are great, things that are difficult. You say, preacher, I'm, I'm in a hard situation. I don't know what to do. Well, follow the ark. Follow God's presence. He, he, he will take you through some choppy waters. He'll do some wonderful things for you. I love that word. Wonders. Things too high to comprehend. Things that are distinguished from other things you have not done. Listen, if you're not in the will of God, you will miss these things. You're, you're left on your own. As a Christian, we do not. Lean not to your own understanding, Proverbs said. You've got to follow, follow God's presence. Verse 6, And Joshua spake unto the priest, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant. There it is again. Sixteen times in chapters 3 and 4, the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Lord, or the Ark, is mentioned. Sixteen times. It's the theme of these two chapters. Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass over before the people. And they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. I have a question for you. Some of you will know the answer and some of you don't. But I have the answer for all of you. Now, I don't mean to be arrogant. I really don't. You'll see what I mean by that in a moment. And here's the question. Are you at a crisis point in your life right now? Are you at a hinge point in your destiny? And some of you, you know that because you know you are. You say, preacher, I'm at a really important time in my life at work, uh, in our family, with our children. Uh, I'm at a very important place. But here's, here's the answer to that question, the better answer for all of us. You don't know. You don't know if you are or not. Uh, we, we've been going through some lessons in our, our uh, life group on marriage, and they've been so good, so helpful. And one of the things that uh, the gentleman's been teaching via video last week, and he mentioned it again today, he didn't spend a whole lot of time on it, but he said, you don't live your marriage in the big moments, you live your marriage in the small moments. Well, that's true in the Christian life. Your Christian life is made up of a lot of small moments. And so you do not know if, if today, what happens today or tomorrow is going to determine your destiny. And it's all, all the more important that, that you follow the ark. Listen, young people, the, the friends that you make, I can, I can tell where you're going to be in five years by the friends that you have, good or bad. 100% of the time, Proverbs 13, 20, other scriptures. You show me your friends, I'll show you your future every time. And when you make bad friends, you're not, you're not just making Bad choices, you're choosing a bad future. You make godly friends, you're choosing a good future. And so you don't know if this is a crisis point or a hinge point. So you need, you need to follow the ark. Now, 
I want to talk to you this morning again about this subject, and God willing, next week, not because I'm stuck, because these are important principles. Some of you say, you know, anybody remember the records, the record players, 33, 45? Y'all remember those, don't you? Say, what what does Brother Rick preach like? Oh, he's like one of those records. He just gets stuck, 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 stuck. You know, he just he can't move on. Um, well, I'm sorry. We'll do the best we can what we have here. Uh, preparing for an unknown tomorrow with the focus on, on preparation. God wants us to prepare. Now, there's two principles. Uh, the first one that we looked at is when we follow God's direction, we always find God's best for our lives. And I've been hammering that home. When you follow God's direction, you always find God's best. I like that. I, I use that question sometimes in counseling with people when they're struggling. I just ask them, do you want God's best for your life? I've never met anybody, anybody in all these years who said, no, no, I don't want God's best. I want God's best for my life. Well, if I want God's best, I have to follow His direction. But here's what I want to talk to you about today. This is kind of the summary idea of where we're going. That God will not show you the next step until you obey the light He has given you to follow today. You're not going to know what to do tomorrow until you follow what the light that God has given you today. Let me give you a, a, a secret of the will of God that, that I have practiced. It's helped me. Uh, the secret to being in the will of God tomorrow is to be in the will of God today. Just do what God tells you today. Follow the ark today, and you'll wake up in the will of God tomorrow. And then follow the will of God tomorrow. You'll be in the will of God the next day. Just keep keep following the ark. There, there's no mystery to that. You don't. We talk about finding the will of God. God God's not hiding. The, when you honor the Lord, 1 Samuel 2, the Bible says that those that honor God, God honors. Now, how do you put yourself in a position to experience God's best? Well, number one, I'm just going to spend a moment on this. You, you've got to get a word from God. And that's what I said there in verse 1 when Joshua, the Bible says, rose early in the morning. That wasn't just a habit for him. Uh, that's when he got his directions from God. And four times in the book of Joshua, and every time uh, he was getting some, some information uh, from the Father for a crucial decision. And uh, before he implemented this plan, he didn't just creatively come up with this because he's a military genius. Uh, he was praying. He, he was getting... God's Word, and the Bible says he was meditating in Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8. So get a word from God. You cannot know God's mind without knowing His Word. And you can't live on yesterday's bread. You need some fresh bread. I put this verse down uh, this week. I was thinking about it. Isaiah 58 verses 8 through 11. God says, My thoughts are not your thoughts. That's a big idea there. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Well, God, I want your thoughts. You know what my th thoughts are? If I want to be successful, I need to be at first in line. God says, no, I will exalt you. Those that humble themselves shall be exalted. Well, that's, that's different. My thoughts are that I, I need to push myself up to the top. God says, no, you humble yourself. 
God's thoughts are if you, if you want to live, you have to die. And he's talking about dying to self. Well, my, my thoughts are, you know, I, I need to live it up, make sure that, that everything is pleasing to me. I set the thermostat where I want it. God says, no, if you want to live, if you want to have a fulfilled life, you die. The way up is down. And all of these opposite extremes in the Bible that do not make sense to the natural mind. Somebody said one time that if, if you want to have a good idea of what God thinks, whatever first comes to your mind is usually the wrong thing to do. Do the opposite. Now, it's, that's generally true, but typically find what God says. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, your plans. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. He hits it again, and my thoughts and your thoughts, they're so separate, they do not intersect. And then he gives us metaphors, the rain comes down, and the snow from heaven, that is when the snow comes down and then melts from the mountains, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and then maketh it bring forth and bud with all the fruit and the flowers, and then that it gives seed to the sower for crops and bread to the eater. We get food. Now look at this next word, sow. So here's the analogy, sow. Through that process, here, here's, here's the point he's making. So shall my word be. So as, I, as God sent his word down, as I receive his word, and I let that word saturate me like the water does earth, and I partake of it, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void. There's no emptiness, no futility to the word of God. But it shall, and I like this word, it shall accomplish that which I please. I've, I've, well, I've had more than one. Fixed, I had somebody, but several have. They said, you know, one of the things that, that I like about coming to the church here is, is, is there's so many verses that are used. Well, yeah, this is not just a Bible-believing church and a Bible-preaching church. We want you to be saturated in the Word of God because the Word of God does the work. It shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper. Not just accomplish something, but prosper. God says, in the thing whereto I sent it, the purpose that I sent it. You need the Bible. If you want guidance, you need the Bible. You need to be in the Bible every day. Take time daily for a meaningful time on God. So get a word from God. Number two, do what God tells you to do. And that's what Joshua did. He got his orders, and then you see there in verse 3, that, and then his people, he got his group together with all the millions of Israelites. He couldn't do it by himself. And they commanded the people, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests of the Levites, the, the Levites bearing it, then you shall remove from your place and go after it. Now look at that verse. When, when you see the ark, that is when you're in the Bible, when you see God speak to you after you hear the word of God, then you have when and then. Well, there can't be a then if there's not a when. There's not going to be any guidance if you don't have the when. You have to spend time with the Lord. Then you shall remove from your place. See how specific this is? And, and, and go after it. What? What is God speaking to you about leaving off this year? Now, there's nothing wrong with losing weight and going to the gym. There's nothing wrong with making goals that, you know, this past year I only did this much business and, and this coming year. But what are your spiritual goals um, about Scripture memory? Have you ever memorized a chapter? 
Oh, Brother Rick, I, I'm, I'm too old. I can't do that. Well, try. Just try. What are, what are an evangelism? Uh, did you win someone, did you win someone to Christ last year? Did you even witness? And start where you're at. Just say, well, I'll, I'll begin to learn to, to witness to people. And if I don't know how, I'll learn. Uh, did you pray? Are you praying? Are you reading some Christian biographies? I mean, just, just, what, what is God asking you to, to go after? When, then, remove, and then He says, go after, and I have this underlined, go after it. What is the it? It's not the goal, it's the ark. Sometimes we, we make goals based on our thoughts and our ways. Spend some time with God. And God, what, what do you have for my life? What do you want me to do? What, what are you speaking to me about? The Christian life is a journey. It's about walking with God. It, it's not just repetitive religious activity. You know, I'm, I'm going to go to church. I'm going to go to life group. I'll see my friends, go to church, go to life. And sometimes somebody said a, 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 a rut is just a grave with both ends knocked out. You know, we, we just do the same stuff. And, and it's not something new. We say, well, I'll change it up. No, you, there's no life in that. Jesus said, I'll give you abundant life. You have to follow the ark. I want you to write this quote down. Uh, I love this. Oswald Chambers said, All of God's people are ordinary people who have been made extraordinary by the purpose He has given them. All of God's people are ordinary people. Boy, that's true for me. Who have been made extraordinary by the purpose He has given them. The will of God expands and deepens your life. His purpose for you doesn't mean you'll be famous. It just means He gives you fulfillment. It's not just your activity in the will of God. It's, it's knowing God in that. So find out what God wants you to do. Get a word from God. Do it. But I want you to listen. Knowledge alone is not sufficient for your guidance. You have to obey what God tells you to do. Remember about the light? You, you have to obey the light you have before God will... Open another door, give you more light. It's it's an easy principle. It's so true. Jesus said in John 7 and verse 17 to people that were questioning his deity, if any man will do his will. Now don't get hung up on that. He said, if any man is willing to do his will, God's will, he shall know the doctrine. Now the doctrine is whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. He said, if, I, if I'm just talking about myself, I'm a madman, but I am the Son of God, God the Son. And you're not going to know this until you're willing to do His will. And you will never know the will of God until you're willing to do His will. Or do you have a willingness to obey Him? You know, I, I would, uh, if I go to a life group, I'm, I'm taking notes for information and for application. Brother Theron and I were talking about this a couple of weeks ago, and um, we were talking about the importance of reflection. And many years ago, I think I've told you this before, but many years ago, um, I learned this from Howard Hendricks, and it really helped me. He said, we read too much. And I believe you ought to read. You've heard me say that. But he said, we read too much. And here's what he said. He said, if you read 30 minutes, he said, don't read 30 minutes. Read 20 and reflect 10. If you read 60 minutes, read 40 and reflect 20. 
In other words, don't just keep reading and read. Just just chop some time off and say, now what have I read? What does this mean to me? Is there a principle to follow? Is there an example to follow? Is there something for me to stop? If it's in the Word of God, that's a little bit easier, but with other people. You know, when I'm reading about organizations or people, I'm looking for seeds of destruction. Because they're there early in the life. God will make you a wise person. But you're not, listen, you're, you're not going to... You're not going to be wise just by reading and getting degrees. You'll be, forgive me, you'll be an educated idiot. You won't be any use to anybody. You have to reflect. You have to step back and get the, the whole picture and see how this works together. I told our life group this morning that, that Dawson Trotman said that thoughts disentangle themselves through the lips and fingertips. You have to be able to explain ideas and concepts. And you get that through thinking, and the thinking narrows itself out and, and kind of uh, all comes together when, when you're able to explain that. And, when, and it comes through meditation. That's so important. Let me give you a verse that I stumbled upon years ago that just jumped off the page at me with this idea of, of knowledge as opposed to application. And they come together because if you don't have knowledge, you can't apply something. You have to read it. Uh, I know some people, they're, they're all about doing, but they're not about being. You have to read but the reading is not just to puff you up. You know what the Bible says in Corinthians 8? It says knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Love edifies. And love is action. Different. Knowledge will make you argue. It makes you arrogant. It makes you want to debate. Psalm 111 and verse 10. Psalm 111.10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now look at this. A good understanding have all they that do, look at that, that do His commandments. That's very profound. A good understanding have all they that do His commandments. That's very profound. Not that know His commandments. Well, preacher, I've been spending time with God and I just don't know. You know, Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 It says, don't lean to your own understanding. And then verse 6 is, and acknowledge Him in all His ways. There's a balance in there. Acknowledge the Lord. I like this quote by Leonard Gravenhill. He said, maturity comes from obedience, not necessarily from age. That's, That's a powerful statement. Maturity comes from obedience, not necessarily from age. Have you ever seen someone that got saved and they begin to blossom and grow? And you say, wow, look at them. We, we say, well, they're on fire. Well, sometimes they have a lot of zeal. I'm, and that's not wrong. But I'm talking about they're well-rounded. There's a depth to them. And we think, wow, they're just growing. They're getting older. No, 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 no. It's not just that they're learning, but they're applying it. There's an experience that they know the Lord. God told Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 5, I have taught you statutes and judgments as the Lord my God commanded me that you should know them in the land. Now, I misquoted it on purpose. He said, no, I didn't teach you this so you'd know them. I want you to know them. You have to know them first. But I I taught them that that you should do so in the land, whether you go to possess it. 
keep. Now notice that word keep. We'll look at it again. Keep therefore and do them. Second time. Do them. Keep them. Do them. For this is, look at this. This is your wisdom and your understanding. In keeping them, doing them, keeping them. This is where wisdom comes from. And notice this, it's your understanding, your wisdom, in the sight of the nations. In the sight of the nations, which shall hear all these statutes. And they will say, surely this great nation, speaking of Israel, is a wise and understanding people. Listen, your testimony is not based upon your knowledge. Your testimony is based upon your obedience. You know, it's one thing to go into the office and say, well, what, what, what was the sermon on yesterday? Or it was about humility. And then you go spouting off your arrogance and pride. It's better not to tell them what the sermon was on and just be humble and be meek. That's, that's where your testimony comes from. It's from application. It's easy, but it's hard, isn't it? It's not easy to do that. We have the Spirit of God to help us. And this is why, why we meditate, not just so we can know things, not to develop thoughts and sermons and, and show people how smart we are, but say, God, show me some things that I can apply. So the secret of a successful Christian is application. It's application. If you want to be a successful Christian according to the Word of God, you, you apply the truth. Now, the majority of us, and I'm going to say this, all of us are already educated beyond our obedience. We, we are spiritually fat. We're like a sponge. And I think sometimes people come to church, well, I, I just don't get anything out of the preaching anymore. Well, you haven't done anything out of it for six years, ten years, twenty years. You're so saturated you don't have a hunger for the Word of God because you're not obeying it. You're not looking for things to apply. And every sermon, I, I, I didn't get into that. While I finished. You ought to take notes on, take notes of it, but then every now and then put, okay, this is what I need to circle it. I, ne- I need to work on that and make it a matter of prayer. In Joshua 1.8, this is what Joshua did early in the morning. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. That means, Joshua, when you make your rulings as a leader, don't let the word leave your mouth. It doesn't mean you don't say it. It means don't differentiate that from the other things you say. It ought, it ought to infect. That's not a good word, I guess. Affect. It needs to be a part of everything you say. But thou shalt meditate therein, God's word day and night, that in order that thou mayest observe to do, not to know. You will know, but to do according to all that is written then. For then, for then, after you do, then thou shalt make thy way prosperous. And then thou shalt have good success. You have an if and a then. The if is the doing. And the only time the word success is used in the Bible is Joshua one eight, prosperity. He says, I will do this for you. Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse 29. Oh, that there was such a heart in them that they would fear me and know all my commandments. But that's not what it says. It says keep. And again, the word keep, I don't know if I'll get there this morning. I probably will. But keep all my commandments always. 
that it might be well with them and with their children, that it might be well with them. Well with them. What does the word well be mean? It says in Ephesians chapter 6 that if you obey your parents, you, you not only have long days, but it will be well with you on the earth while you live. What does that mean? Well, the word well there means to have God's favor on your life. It means to be healthy, not, not physically. It can include that, but it's more of a, of, a, of a healthy life, a healthy soul. You're sound. It, it means this. It means to be beautiful. <laughs> that kind of alienates me from it. But it means you have a beautiful spirit. It means when you come into a room, you have a positive impact. Do you want influence? If you want influence, you need, you need to be well. Some of you, you're not well. You're so negative. You drag things down. You're so sour. You don't even know it. You have to practice the Word of God. Now, let me give you five reasons obedience is crucial. We'll see how far we get here. Because it's not optional. And there are five reasons, and there are more than this, but I just want to give you five. Number one, obedience is a mark of true conversion. Obedience is a mark of true conversion. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, notice two times there. This is a cry of desperation. Not just one time, Lord, because they want to go into heaven. They're not going to heaven. Shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Now, when I was younger, I used to think, well, so if if I'm not doing the will of God, I'm not going to heaven. Well, that's not what he's talking about, because if you... Look in verse 22 and 23, he says, talks about him that works iniquity. You don't go to heaven by works. So it's not by doing anything. It's by what Christ did when he died on the cross. And we trusted in him as our Savior. We're not our Savior. He's the Savior. But here's the idea. He that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. It means I have a desire in my heart to do the will of God. And that desire translates into obedience. That's the idea here. It's, it's a desire to please my Father. I want to do what my Father wills. I want to fulfill His wishes. Are you interested in pleasing your Father? And, and when you got saved, did your life change where you said, God, I, I want to do what you want me to do? That's what He says. Notice, that doeth the will of my Father. Now watch this. When a person is saved... It influences their mind, their emotion, and their will. Three parts of a person. First of all, it influences your mind. You hear the gospel. You're a sinner. Your heart is corrupt. You're rebellious against God. Well, I thought I was good. I thought I was saved because my parents were saved. That's what I thought. Daddy's a deacon. Mama teaches Sunday school. Daddy sings in the choir. He's an usher, etc. I thought, man, they're saved. I'm saved. This is different. No, Rick, you're not saved because of that. You have to be born again for yourself. I am not a good person. All of this stuff was new to me. God says those that are not Christians, those have not been born again, are damned. They're going to hell. And so it it affects my mind. But then God loves me. He sent His Son Christ to come and die on the cross and save me. And so salvation affects my mind. And then it affects my emotions. 
And I realized that though I'm a rebel against God, Jesus pursued me and He loved me. And conviction settles in upon my heart. Remember when you were under conviction? Um, it was an unpleasant feeling. I was under conviction for my salvation for a week. Now, I've been under conviction for other things many, many, many other times. But I remember that week was horrible. It's no fun. May I say this? I say this very compassionately, tenderly. If you've never been under conviction, you've never been saved. Sometimes I say, well, I've been a Christian all my life. No, you've never been a Christian all your life no more than you've been born all your life. There was a, you had a physical birthday and you have a spiritual birthday. You, you may not know the details of your spiritual birthday. I understand that. But there was a time and a place. There was a red chair somewhere. There was a church service. There was somewhere when you trusted Christ. Do you remember? Do you remember the sorrow? In Acts 2.37 on the day of Pentecost, when those people got saved, it said they were pricked in their heart. And then they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? And so many people, they, they don't have the emotion because God's never spoken to their mind with the gospel. So you have mind, emotion, and then you have will. Then you say, I need, to, I need to repent, which starts in your mind. I've changed my mind about who I am and who God is. And I'm convicted about that. And now I'm going to act upon that repentance. Watch this. And I will, I choose, based upon what God has done in my life, to trust Jesus Christ as my Savior and accept who He is and accept my condition on who I am and trust Him to be my Savior. And He changes my life. And then what happens is I have this desire. I don't ask for this. Oh, God, give me a desire to do your... I don't ask for those things. It's birthed in me. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6 and verse 46, And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? Notice again, two times they say Lord. Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things... That I say, it's not your words that prove your obedience. It's your works. It's what you do. It's not your talk. Why call you me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? Let me ask you, do you behave differently in Monday at work than you do in church? Do you behave differently in your home than you do when you're around Christian friends? Is your speech different? Is your attitude different? Something is wrong. Why call you me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? I love this verse. This is two verses in Ezekiel 36, verses 26 and 27. God says, a new heart will I give you. Notice it's a gift, the gift of salvation, the gift of Christ, the gift of His Spirit. And a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh. That old cold, stony heart that couldn't feel anything. That had no compassion. And I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you. I have this underline. I will cause you. This is in the self-improvement program. The grace of God gives you the desire and the ability to obey. I will cause you to walk in my statutes and ye shall... Keep my judgments and do them. This is the grace of God. 
God does this. He works. He operates in you. This is what conversion does. Titus chapter 1 and verse 13. They profess that they know God. Now watch this. There's a difference in a professor of grace and a possessor. That, that someone that says a professor, someone they say they have something. Oh, I know God. Well, I've been a Christian all my life. And then they go out and there's no difference in their life. They profess that they know God, but in works, in works, they deny Him being abominable and disobedient. And unto every good work, reprobate. The word reprobate means tested and found disapproved. You know what the test is? In Titus there, it's about doing works. Do you serve? Do you help people? Are you a servant? I shared with one of my friends recently that you know you're a servant when you're treated like one and you don't react. I feel that test sometimes. You know you're a servant in your home, in the church, and other places at work. When you're treated like one and you don't react, God, God will let that happen to you to manifest your heart. James chapter 1 and verse 22, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. It's so easy to equate hearing and doing. He said, don't do that. That's deception. James 1, 26, If any man among you seem to be religious, he appears to be religious, but he bridleth not his tongue, like he put on a horse to control him. He can't control his tongue. His heart is deceived and his religion is vain. Deceived. All these tests, 1 John 2, 3 and 4, Hereby we do know that we know Him, we know Christ, we know God, if we keep His commandments. And John often used the word keep rather than do. And there's a reason, I'll show you later. If we keep His commandments, He that saith, I know Him, I know God, and keepeth not his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. The word keep is a military term. It has the idea of someone that's been assigned guard duty or, or they're watching the jail. They have a really high-valued prisoner there. And because of the value of it or the value of what's going inside the camp with guard duty, they have to, they're keeping this watch. So it's more than just obey. It's not a dry obedience. It's, this is important. This scripture, this daily devotion, this time alone with the Lord is important for me to get something so I can, watch this, keep, keep before my heart. I need to keep it. I need to keep this. That's where you meditate. I keep it with me during the day. I like this verse. This verse has helped me. Verse John chapter 5 and verse 4, for this is the love of God. This is the love of God that we keep his commandments, same word. And His commandments are not grievous. His commandments are not grievous. This is the love of God. If you don't have the love of God, then the commandments are going to be grievous. The word grievous there means weighty. It means you're grieved because of the weight, because of the heaviness of them. You're irritated. Well, I got to go to church again. I, I have to tithe. I, I have to do this. I, I've got to carry this burden because the absent ingredient in your obedience is the love of God. I don't love Him. He loves me, but I don't love Him. 
I love what Adam Clark, the old Methodist commentator, said about this verse in 1 John 5, 3. Love feels no loads. Love feels no loads. That's the truth, isn't it? He said, love to God brings strength from God. Love to God brings strength from God. Through His love and His strength, all His commandments are not only easy and light, but pleasant and delightful. Obedience is characteristic and a mark of true conversion. Let me give you another one. Obedience is required for discipleship. Required for discipleship. We've been talking a lot about discipleship on Wednesday nights in our midweek meeting over in the Wagler building. And uh, how to do that and what's involved with it and the kind of people we have to be and so forth. And one of the classic passages is in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 20. When Jesus said we're to be teaching them, the word teaching there is the word instructing them. Now most of our discipleship today has to do with uh, um, content, always content, but there's a specific kind of content. Teaching them to observe, now watch this, to observe, observe all things whatsoever I have, I have commanded you. I have commanded you. It's not intellectual or academic content. Now, now the theme of Philippians is joy, and the key verse is, and those things aren't wrong as long as you get to the hook. And because of that, here's what, here's what you do. Discipleship, whether it's with your children or whether it's a new convert or whether it's with yourself where you're being discipled, you've got to get to the bottom of it so that you're following Jesus, not just and measured, not just by what you know, because you'll end up being a hollow man, a hollow woman, but what you are. And a disciple is measured by how much he or she is like Jesus Christ. And it's measured by obedience and actions and attitudes. And then I'll give you this one. I'll, I'll stop. I know we're not finished, but I'll stop here. Number three, obedience is required for God's blessing. Don't you want to be blessed? I do. I want God to bless me. Now, there's a sense where God blesses His children. But God, God wants to, to bless you more. The Bible says in Luke chapter 11 and verse 28, Jesus said, Blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. Now I've showed you several places here where there was hearing, reading, and obeying. Here's another one. It's, it's, and I've got more. We'll, we'll cover this later. But hearing, reading, listening, and then doing and keeping and obeying. They're, they're, they're different things. And I want to challenge you. Whenever you read the Bible, read the Bible with a view to obedience. Always. Whenever you hear a sermon, whenever you go to your life group, can I put it this way? Whenever you're listening to podcasts, whenever you're listening to something and it blesses your heart, now there's a sense sometimes when, when you're involved in hearing something about God, which, is, which involves worship, which is not pragmatic. 
Okay, I get that. You're, you just want to worship the Lord. Yeah, there's no wherefores and whys. It's just, so, so that's an exception to this, and you need that. You need that every day. I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about my daily prayers. Lord, help me take another step. I think I prayed that in our life group this morning because I pray it for me. Help me take another step in my sanctification. Help me take a, another step forward. Blessed are they that hear the word of God and they keep it. The word blessed there means happy, but it means more than happy. It means to have God's favor. Again, if you're a Christian, God has his favor on you, but he has a special favor on those that obey him. If you have more than one child, you, you love them all equally. But there's something special. There's something special about your children that please you and they honor you. doesn't mean you, you don't love the others. doesn't mean that at all. But when they, when they seek to please you and they have, your, they have your heart, and it's not being a narcissistic parent. It's, hey, you're getting this because I, I have this for your good. And I have only so many years to, to give this to you. Blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. And one that is blessed is a candidate for blessings. And listen, that's, that's, how, listen, that's how you feed other people is out of the overflow of the blessings of your life as you're obeying God. And then you don't have to worry about, about where you're going to end up in life. You know, I, I talked about at the front end about the will of God is what you would choose in your life if you weren't trying to figure everything out. And if you, if you didn't have to know everything, you just left it up to God. That's what you would do. And I can remember um, where I, I, people would ask me, would you, I'm going to be gone. Would you teach a Sunday school class? I'm going to be gone. Would you, would you say something in training you? And very reluctantly, I would do that. And here's why I did it. I did that of obedience because I love this book. I love, I have always loved the Word of God. And I did it because of that. We, I, I went out to Friday with a, a guy I played football with. Um, I played center. He played quarterback. And we spent a couple hours together. He came back by the house, and he told Paula, he said, when Rick was in school, he just turned red all the time. And she said, yeah, I know. He said, no, you don't know. He, I mean, he just turned red all the time. He was so embarrassed. He was so shy. And I just started obeying the Lord and walking through some doors. And somebody said, that, that helped me. What you said helped me. I thought, oh, Okay. Okay, well, maybe it wasn't that bad. I, I, I knew I struggled, but okay. And then doors began to open. I didn't make any calls. I remember having friends that were rushing forward to, to do things and get jobs and things. And, and I wasn't, listen, I wasn't doing it because I was humble. I was, it was, I was intimidated. And in the kindness and the mercy of the Lord, he was so gentle with me. He, 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 I guess he could have chastened me for some things, but he, in, in his kindness, he just was so kind and gentle with me. 
that he, and his forbearance, he, he just kind of led me that way. And all of, all of these, I never heard of this church. I, I used to drive by here and take my piano lessons as a 90, 10-year-old boy. When they called me, I, I had to call my Daddy, where is it? He said, no, that's an empty lot. He said, no, there's a church there now. And God has been so, so good to me in, in leading me in paths that I didn't know were there. And then, and then some wonderful things happened, some wonders, some good things, because He's a good God. Get a word from God. If you haven't done it today, go home and get a word from God. And next week, I'll give you something that will really help you. I didn't finish today. But that's, that's not unusual. I'll give it to you next week. Find something to do that God tells you to do. Whatever, now, what he, He'll tell you to do and what He tells me to do. Sometimes two different things. And then just do it. Okay? You should bow your head with me, would you?